My guest today is from one of the world's leading financial groups, not one that you'd normally think of right off the top of your head, but nonetheless, one of the biggest top 10 in the world. Marianne Bamonte manages the Institutional Custody and Trust Asset Servicing Division for the Transactional Banking Group of MUFG Union Bank. The San Francisco Business Times ranked her as one of the most influential women in business in 2015, and she joins us today to share her tips for getting ahead in the finance industry, and I'm so glad to have her. This is going to be fun. Welcome, Marianne. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. I see the bank a lot more on the West Coast than I do anywhere else. Is that predominantly because you're there? Uh, We're predominantly here in terms of a retail uh, footprint. So all of the local um, branches that you would see are predominantly uh, West Coast-based. But we do have um, significant commercial and corporate banking and investment banking presence um, in Chicago, uh, and New York City is actually really headquarters. Yeah, well, which would make sense because that's where all the money flows for the most part. When exactly. You're talking, yeah, and and when you, but but also when I look at Mitsubishi or MUFG, when I look at you guys, you're one of the world's leading banks. I mean, you're you're up in the top, I think, two or three, isn't? It? Yes, we're in the top ten. Yeah, top. And we are uh, just uh, as of September 30, our latest financials. We were two. Point four trillion in U.S. dollars, uh, which is that's a 20, T. That's with a T, yeah. right? I just want to point that, that out. <laughs> Correct, and that's two hundred eighty-nine point two trillion in Japanese yen. Yeah, that's bigger than Donald Trump money. I just want to point that out. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yes, yeah, it's a very full-service um, financial group. So, uh, but. but many far-reaching affiliates and subsidiaries. Yeah, and when we're talking about that, you know, uh, far-reaching in terms of just the, the assets itself, which is, I think, kind of an interesting piece, but uh, and, and the fact it's Tokyo. I mean, um, you, don't, you don't always see a lot of uh, Tokyo banks operating in the States, and, but, you're, you know, but you're a worldwide operation, but you don't always see that in the States, right? Uh, we have a few good strong competitors that are also here. I would say um, MUFG uh, is probably the most predominant um, institution that's in the U.S., but Mizuho is another strong competitor, uh, Sumitomo. So the Japanese and Asian um, banks have really seen the U.S. as such a critical market um, as you can imagine being the largest in the world. Well, certainly I think I've seen quite frankly, the Chinese banks a lot more than I've seen a lot of the other banks. I mean, you guys have been around for for quite a long time. In fact, I, that's how I first came to you was through a friend of mine who used to be your chief marketing officer and who I worked with, you know, or against when he was at Xerox years ago. He was a partner one time and then a, then, then a competitor, like most of us in the C-suite at some point, were all either friends or competitors at some, but friendly. Um, you know, give me an overview of the bank because, you know, I, I'm I'm wondering, and and I, this is where I'm always uh, just curious. And you know, sometimes my questions sound stupid, but they're more of being naive. When I look at the bank, is it only big stuff, or is it also small stuff? Where I'm coming in off the street and doing business with you? 
Sure. I'll give you a little bit of background because yeah. we do kind of go the gamut, I would say. Um, basically, from an enterprise perspective, in terms of the business reach that we have, we have a retail uh, banking and wealth markets presence. And again, the retail banking in particular is pre- predominantly now uh, located on the West Coast from the MUFG Union Bank brand. And then we have um, a commercial banking unit, which really is working with your small business and middle market uh, corporate and institutional investors, uh, a lot focused, as you can imagine, into certain specific uh, territory, excuse me, certain specific target markets and segments. Um, And then we do have uh, a very large U.S. corporate banking presence that is actually uh, with offices um, in New York but we also cover all of the major cities that are in the U.S., so Chicago, Dallas, L.A., uh, San Francisco, um, et cetera. And in the U.S. corporate banking space, we really focus on uh, the energy finance area, the financial institutions, general industries, healthcare, et cetera. And then we have the transaction banking group for which my division is actually a part of, and transaction banking really focuses on your deposits and treasury management services, so all your working capital solutions, payable and receivables, uh, liquidity management, and then transactional trade. And then we have our trust and custody unit. Um, That's really what the Global Trust Services Division is. And that's where we're handling corporate and institutional investor portfolios, really uh, administering them in terms of serving the client base. We have a very large investment banking and markets group, again, located in New York and uh, very much in the regional offices as well. And they're exactly, as you can imagine, they're focused on the corporate advisory, the leasing and merchant banking, uh, project finance and export. And then we also have an Asian corporate banking um, group that actually is very specific and very focused on all of the Asian mid and large corporates in terms of uh, a global presence so that we can service them in the Asian markets as well as for all of their U.S. needs. And again, offices Atlanta, Chicago, Houston, uh, Florence, Kentucky, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, and Seattle. You said Florence, Kentucky? It is, and I'm not quite <laughs> sure how we got there. Yeah, I, I, I want to hear that story. That's, that's <laughs> I've got to find that one out myself. <laughs> that's like when, you know, I have an office in New York, L.A., San Francisco, and then I say Sioux Falls, and everyone says, why Sioux Falls? And I say, yep. because we can. So maybe that's what you've got there, too, right? Must be a lot of <laughs> must be a lot of horses you've got to finance or something down in Kentucky or something. You know, you never know. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good business, though, in Kentucky when you think about some of the great brands, you know, uh, especially in the liquor business, or I would call them vice businesses between horses and, and, and a little bit of liquor. And But they've got uh, Lennox China and a whole host of other ones that are down in that area. Hey, yeah. uh, you've been in this business for a while. Um, as I looked at your, your background, like 35 years, how, how have you seen this industry change from your perspective? Wow, what a great question. It's been dramatic. Yeah. And I would say the most influential component has really been the advancement in technology. Yeah, the digital, uh, the digital doubt, side. Yeah, digital yep, side. Yeah. Absolutely. Without a doubt, um, it has dramatically changed the landscape and actually almost all in such a positive way 
uh, certainly has created much greater um, regulatory and legal challenges. Yeah, that's a problem. That could be an issue. That could be the downside, too. Exactly. But I will say it has changed the way that um, everybody thinks about banking now. Yeah. It, it, I, well, the speed of which we operate, I think, is faster than it's ever been. You know, you guys are measuring things on milliseconds, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, and people are trading their funds. I mean, you got larger companies, and you you talked about the treasury services that uh, you guys provide. You know, you used to not move money around as much as you do today, and even small businesses, I think, are moving their money or figuring out, hey, I can deposit it for a couple of days over here, make a, make a little bit on the float. And then mm-hmm. and then bring it back over and you, and you're doing a lot of that and that's all digital now for the most part, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. everything is truly uh, about the speed um, and efficiency of the transaction. You know, I, I I've been saying to people that a, a lot of what we see in business now, especially I would think in in banking, is become the the which it should the the game of mathematics. You've got to be employing a lot of mathematicians to take a look at those kinds of things to take advantage of that, right? No, I would say absolutely uh, to have a strong background um, in the financial you know, field is um, a really positive component. But I would say in terms of actually relating and servicing clients, um, it's as important to have a very broad-based background almost so that you really can relate. And I think you need to marry those two skill sets um, because no matter what, the business still comes down to, you know, yes, the speed, the accuracy, the efficiency of the transaction, but to build a relationship and to truly, you know, deepen and enrich and over time what products and services, um, you've got to be face-to-face with people. They've got to really feel they can trust you, that they understand you're going to have, you know, their back. And even if you, you know, have some issues, as you will, you know, in any relationship, uh, that you're going to be there for them and you're going to work your way through them, even in the tough times and not just always, you know, when <laughs> interest rates and markets are positive. They're really looking for that full breath uh, around the relationship. Well, I want to come back to that in just a second, but then that reminds me I want to take a quick break. And because we talk about relationships, I think about having a cup of coffee. America runs on Dunkin', and today I'm running on a few double shots of Dunkin' Espresso. It's freezing in New York, so I had to really go load it up. And after a week of fully traveling and speaking engagements and business meetings, Duncan helps me get through the day. I'm not alone. They sell over 30 cups of coffee every single second, and that's money for the bank right there, speaking of putting money in the bank. So head over today and pick up your favorite cup. Do you, you drink coffee at all, Marianne? I do. Yeah. Well, how do you drink your coffee? I'm actually... Uh a Starbucks fan, unfortunately. I have my Uh-oh. latte right here in front of me. Uh, that's a, You know, I'm, we'll, we'll try to talk you out of it. You know, but Duncan hasn't been out in the West Coast uh, until know, recently. They, yeah, yeah they, they actually did try, and apparently um, they are now back down in San Diego. Yep, they um, are. That market space. And my husband, it is his absolute favorite, and I'm originally from New York, Uh-oh. so... Dunkin' Donuts is what, yeah, yeah I, I, you be- I know it all too well. You better come. You better get away from the dark side. You better come away <laughs> from the dark side. I always call Starbucks four bucks. That's what it costs. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> It's just because I like lattes. I just really like the steamed milk, I think, better than the coffee. Yeah, well, yeah, that's not a bad thing. Well, let's go back to this relationship because I was going to – I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, I I, I do banking in a couple of different places, but, you know, I have a a great bank back in my home state of South Dakota. 
And I can pick up the phone and call the president, call the key shareholder and owner of the bank and have a great conversation and say, hey, and a lot of it's done over handshakes. It's less so now than it used to be because of the regulatory side. And I know that. And so I help them play that game too. So they, Because I don't want to do anything, certainly, that's wrong by any way, shape. But what I'm talking about is sometimes stretching, stretching, stretching the asset ratio or, or, you know, maybe going outside the lines because it's different. I have to make sure that I, I know and understand what they need, you know, to do that. But let me, but let me get into this relationship. It, it's even at your level. It's really about knowing the person across from the table, isn't it? It is essential. Um, In terms of doing our business, while certainly digital channels, expectation, uh, really, that you can transact uh, whichever way you want, there still is a requirement, particularly in our side of the business where we are dealing with corporate and institutional investors, and I would say probably just as important on the personal side, but when you're dealing with CFOs, treasurers, ATs, they want to know the person you know, behind the transaction. They want to make sure that you understand and can provide value to their entity. They want to know that you're, you're in it together. It's, it's not that you're just going to sell a product or service. Most that we work with really want that relationship. And I think just as you said, Jeff, how important it is that you can pick up the phone and call the president, you know, of your local bank and just, you know, be able to dialogue maybe about different things in the marketplace, what you might be considering, uh, you'll probably never leave them because of that. Yeah, without question, you know, and and, and I do something, and I, I would think this is a, well, I know it's a smart thing, I just want to hear you say that it is, but thinking about what, what other people can be doing, but a lot of times I call my banker to educate him about what we're doing. Months ahead before, I know I'm going to need it. Because I, I don't want it to come as – because I don't think bankers like surprises. That's one, right? And, mm-hmm. and then two, because he doesn't know my business as well as I do, right? Just like I don't know your the banking business as well as you should. And exactly. Yeah, is it, that's got to be a smart thing for any business leader to do, whether they're in a billion-dollar company or a, a hundred-million-dollar company. Yeah, I think it's absolutely essential. Um, I think, as you stated, no one likes surprises on either side of the equation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. In, in order to be prepared, if there's going to be a credit need, if there's going to be a portfolio shift that you want to make, having that ability to, you know, transact successfully, I think, requires that communication. To me, it's probably one of the most essential things to a relationship, communication. And you know what? You could take that to the personal side, too. We all know it. I'm married 36 years, (laughs) and it really is, quite honestly, because of communication. And I would say integrity and trust in everything that you do. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you there, too. Been married the same amount of time, by the way. So uh, we don't always, well, you know what? We don't always see that these days, do we? That's, uh, no, we don't. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, one of those things that you really, I find I'm very proud of. I, you know, I am too, because I know me and I wouldn't be married to me. And uh, <laughs> so, so I'm very happy about that. Hey, you, you mentioned something that kind of slid in there. And I read, I read in some of the background about digital channels capabilities. And, mm-hmm. you, and you mentioned that. So talk to me about what digital channels means when you, when you refer to that. Sure. I think when we're referring to digital channels, we're trying to cover all of the different 
technology capability in ways to deliver to your clients. So whether it's with an online uh, application where they have the ability to see uh, their assets, do cash movement, um, be able to uh, transact security trade, or it can also be, you know, being able to uh, send an alert in terms of a commercial card and an overdraft um, and or an alert for, you know, fraudulent protection mm-hmm. and be able to do so on someone's, you know, mobile. Um, and that's irrespective of whether it's, you know, the, the, the cell phone, the tablet, um, just really having that capability across the board. And it is the greatest, I think, emphasis right now in terms of banks and trying to ensure that we are staying competitive and trying to almost get ahead where we can in terms of payment transactions. Um, There are so many fintech companies that certainly you see many more banks now entering into relationships um, in order to make sure, you know, we're serving the end clients. We all need to serve that same community. So if it's easier to go to market with some type of shared relationship, I think we're all open to that. And then the opposite side of that is it's also our greatest um, challenge because of all, if somebody were to ask me, you know, what is the greatest challenge facing you, I would say cybersecurity. Oh, without, yeah, it's without question. Yeah, you just can't get in front of it. Um, It, it, It's going to be the biggest thing. You know, I tell people, and I'm actually about to do a television show where I'm going to focus it, and my whole premise is if it's not, it's not, when you know i mean it's not if you will be hacked mm-hmm. it's when and and i think whether you're a small business or a big business uh, bigger businesses have greater resources smaller lesser so but it, it's just it's going to happen it's going to happen mm-hmm. yeah i think everybody will have it happen at one time or another in their lifetime uh, whether it's your you know personal email facebook you know pick which one um or whether it's something that happens at your place of employment or uh, your own company well speaking of that how are you you know mufg how are you able to stay distinctive and a top leader in banking because you know some of the things that you mentioned in terms of the things that are going online some of these digital channels to me they're becoming more and more table stakes it's it's just something you have to do so, mm-hmm. so how, how are you able to stay distinctive and be a top leader in banking? Yeah, I'd probably say there are three components to that for us. The first one would be the global reach. It is essential in today's environment that you have the ability to transact with clients worldwide. And I would say secondly for MUFG, Union Bank and MUFG uh, collectively, the ability to have expertise in local markets and, and expertise that isn't necessarily um, U.S. you know expats abroad. It's really local market expertise so that they are living in those communities, working with those businesses um, themselves at one point may have been, you know, uh, owning their own business. And I think that's a real competitive, distinct, distinctive advantage um, that we continue to try to find ways to actually uh, make sure we bring it to fruition, quite honestly. And then I would say third for us is not trying to be everything to everyone. We have really decided what our businesses are. We have very target markets. um, And I think 
that has helped us get focused because occasionally trying to cover just the full gauntlet of product and service that you can have, then everybody is actually competing internally for the same resources, the same dollars in terms of investment. And if we are actually aligned so that if I have a commercial and a corporate banking group that have the same market segments that I am trying to deepen and enrich them, so they're providing credit, they're making sure they're a part of a project finance, I have product and service that I can offer to that same entity. And again, it's building on that relationship theme. I think for us, those are the biggest ways that we would say we try to compete. So when you look at growth, how are, how are you growing? Is it organic or are you doing it through acquisitions? We've done a little bit of both over the past you know, five to seven years. I would say right now it's more organically driven. Um, certainly our parent has made it very clear that they have an appetite to continue to look for acquisitions, but I think they've also stated that, you know, institutions or entities that we would be interested in aren't necessarily uh, bought. You really have to wait until they're ripe for sale and that they're a good fit for your organization. So we are, I would say, very selective um, and really want to drive a lot of our growth uh, organically with the relationships. And again, I go back to that. I know it's a theme for us. Yeah, but um, it's it's, it's really solid. It works, you know? Yeah. Yep. I, I, it was interesting. I was at a speech one place and someone said, you know, it's all it, now. They said, now it's all about the relationships. And I thought, when did it stop? <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think too many might have gotten away from it. Yeah, it's 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 at the core. In the end, you you have to well, even with with banking, even yeah, again, you're very regulated, but a lot of times yeah. you guys make decisions because you've sat across the table from the person. Yes, yeah. and I think that's another challenge that we face today, where the relationship becomes so important. Very often, uh, with the regulatory environment that we're in you have to really sit down and explain uh, to a, um, a CFO, a treasurer, why all of a sudden are you asking me for this additional you know, uh, form? And, and why do I have to disclose even more about my ownership? Um, and we have to be very willing to have some hard dialogue. You know? and, and you don't want to just say, oh, you know, it's the regulators. We're, we're all in this together because most of it is to protect all of us. And that's hard. I know everybody gets nervous. The government's watching everything. Um, but honestly, much of it is to protect the transaction on both sides of the equation. It isn't just the bank looking to protect ourselves and, you know, the dollars that we earn. We want to make sure that client and our reputation is so important. It's really what we have to put forward to compete. It's essential that we do that together. Well, and I think that gets back to my point and then the point you just made is that if you're ha- if you got a great relationship, but more importantly, you're educating each other, um, mm-hmm. then it makes it a lot simple about where you you're both going to get what you want. And I think that's really, there. You go. It's yeah. truly that enterprise value both ways. Yeah. Hey, speaking of more money, I got to talk about Liberty. It's an officially it's tax season, so it's great to have the good folks from Liberty Tax on board all business. It's the fastest growing retail tax preparation firm with over 4,000 offices across North America and great seasonal opportunity. I have a lot of folks who call in and actually, you know, buy in and get a seasonal franchise or they bought a real big franchise. So we're glad to have the folks on Liberty on board. I assume, Marianne, you don't do your own taxes, right? 
You have somebody else do them, or, or do you do them? I do. I, no, I do actually have someone else do them. I, yeah. I gather all the information to make sure I keep good records, but uh, just just takes too much time, I wow. think. Yeah, it's and it's changed. Remember, you used to have like shoe boxes of receipts and stuff. And now we don't do that. Now we just take them a disc or we give them access to certain things. That's there you gonna, go. That's yeah, changed. Let me ask you another question. I, I'm real curious about the global implication. By the way, do you know how old MUFG is? Uh, MUFG, actually, I want to say goes back to, I'd have to check my notes here. I want to hmm? say. 1964, if I Yeah, right. it's like, I. that's what I wanted to point out because I, you know, a lot of people were listening and, you know, when I came to know more about Union Bank and then, you know, to the parent the parent company, but, and, and then when I found out, oh my gosh, they've been around forever. Yeah, and, and actually going to that history and kind of our highlights, that really is the MUFG Union Bank, um, you know, 1864 kind yeah. of start. Uh, but yeah, it's been a very interesting history when you see some of the mergers and uh, acquisitions that they did along the way. Yeah. So how do you how have you been innovative and successful in like, crossing those the global and cultural boundaries in, in, a, in a very what I would consider competitive field? Yeah. Um, for us, where we have really looked to serve our clients is that idea that if you are um, an entity that actually does business, and and so many today uh, worldwide, we want to be able to try to service you irrespective of where you're doing business, recognizing that, you know, much of it can be from the U.S. in certain transactions, but very often it requires uh, and has to be under local regulations, local legal jurisdiction. Um, and the beauty of MUFG is that they are worldwide, that they have that expertise, and we're able to take advantage of it because we can, you know, transact with our colleagues and all the different uh, branches and, you know, corporate structure that we have on the ground. Sometimes it's challenging in terms, of course, of the time zones, and, yeah, you know, sure. we do a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of very early morning and a lot of very late, you know, evening, and... And really, that's that's business today. You know, you really do have to think of it in terms of a 24-7. And um, we make it work with colleagues. We're fortunate that we have the opportunity to occasionally get together, uh, depending upon what seminar or session or leadership summit is being hosted. And it's so wonderful to hear and meet, you know, folks from Brazil, folks from Singapore. And you really develop a relationship. So if they're over here in the U.S., and they happen to be in, you know, territory where I am, you'll, you'll just grab lunch with them. You'll talk to a client maybe that you share. Um, it's a it's a real uh, exciting time almost for us as a result of that. Yeah, it's fun. It's interesting. You know, I how, how the international boundaries kind of uh, change our day today. And I wear, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I even wear a watch, Chopar watch, that actually has the various time uh, differences in zones around the world, because I deal with people around the world as well. And yeah, it, we have it in yeah. all of our conference rooms and our video areas. Yeah. You know, we have all the clocks from uh, around the world as well, so that you're, you know, recognize when somebody might be at the end of your their day and you're kind of at the beginning and you're like, okay, we'll finish up early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you or you change your day and you come in a little later, you come in a, or you stay a lot longer, either way. Exactly. You know, we've yep. all, you know, for those of us who have done that around the globe, that's what you do. It's, it's just part of the mm-hmm. nature. And, 
Uh, I, I can, and I've, have you ever, I, I've, have you ever fallen asleep during a conference call like overnight like that? You know, thus far I have not, but I have to say um, I'm more a night person. Yeah. I sometimes am a little slower in the morning. I, you know, I got to tell you, I did that once. I was in Australia. We, we owned a business in Australia, and I was over there, and I was calling the states, and I fell asleep during the middle of the call. I put it on speakerphone, and I just started, and they said I snored for about 20 minutes. It was terrible. <laughs> just terrible. It's embarrassing, but what the heck. You know, uh, remember you forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, but, you know, hey, life goes on. No one died. That's the way I look at it. So That's it. Hey, I want to I uh, ask you, I want to get into the rapid fire. This is, okay. you know, this is it. So you, you get ready. Um, this is where I get to ask you a bunch of different questions that have nothing to do with what you really do. But, you know, I got to, it, it's tied to money. All right? Okay. All right. So true or false? Benjamin, oh, this is a tricky one, too. I'm sorry. Uh, Benjamin Franklin added, in God we trust to U.S. currency. True or false? False. Oh, do you know? You're, you're correct, but I think you just guessed. Do you know Do you know why? It was a, it was an atheist? No, well, no, but, you know, he, he, Benjamin Franklin very well could have been. I don't know, but now I'm going to get uh, calls about that. No, it's, it's false. The motto... Tweaked from the original, in God is our trust. Uh-huh. Ah, it first okay, appeared. Yeah. yeah, it first appeared on the on the two cent coin in 1864. A year later, an act of Congress declared that the motto should be placed on all gold and silver coins. In God we trust showed up on paper money in 1957 when it was printed on the one dollar silver certificate. You know, this is that's kind of an interesting thing because you know all these people are. They, they really get irate about, um, you know, uh, the, our founding fathers, you know, were so into God. But yet here it was in 1864, a lot longer than we first thought. All right, here, here yeah. we go. That's, this is why I was like, I like this because we get to learn stuff. Okay. True or false? There are $500 bills in circulation in the U.S. Boy, I should know this one, but I'm going to say false. It's correct. The one hundred dollar bill has been the largest. There is no five hundred dollar bill. The the, the one hundred dollar bill has been uh, the largest in denomination in circulation since 1969. Okay, I just yeah. I, I'll go back to my very originating start when I was in college and actually did a stint as a what what the banks would call a floating utility player, and I actually had the opportunity to serve as a teller in mortgage loan servicing. I did IRAs and self-employed retirement plans, and uh, I never saw in serving as a, a teller uh, a $500 bill in any of my transactions. <laughs> did you ever get a $1,000 bill? No, I don't think I did. Yeah, you, you, you don't see them hardly yeah. anymore. In fact, I, I have three of them. And uh, yeah, because I know many years ago, I'd say about 30 years ago, maybe 20, a friend of mine who I really respected, very, very successful business guy in Chicago, Robert Larson, you know, was telling me about that they're very valuable. And I went, oh, come on, it's a thousand dollar bill. It's got to be worth a thousand bucks. Well, no, back then they were trading a thousand dollars. You'd buy them for like twelve hundred, thirteen hundred dollars. It's amazing and, when yeah. you think about a currency yeah. that actually goes up in value. <laughs> exactly. So I so I made it my point every time I would see one, I would grab one. And so sometimes I was at some places. So I'd just say, "Hey, you got a thousand dollar bill there?" And they did. So I got, I got them. Yeah. Um, okay. So how many times can you fold a bill back and forth before it tears? <laughs> this is fun, isn't it? 
It is. <laughs> I always like putting executives on the fives. It's always fun. You should hear, like, when I have Kevin Jonas on, I ask him all these rock and roll questions, you know, or, or, or Gene Simmons, you know. But do you know this one? You're not even going to come close. No, I, I have not a clue. And it's 4,000 times. And it's surely they have actually done it such Oh, that yeah, 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 sure. Absolutely. So just, you know, if they ask you a question like this, somebody's had, there had to be somebody that did it. You know what That's I mean? It. <laughs> exactly. It's like that thing that, that people say, I love the greatest cartoon in the world, I think, is the Gary Larson cartoon. And you know how cats always land on their feet? Mm-hmm. And it showed two scientists carrying a cat up to the top of the ladder, of course. And then some guy was writing it on the chalkboard, and it had like a thousand marks for feet and, and one for head. <laughs> so, you know, to me, that was like, okay, yeah, they did that. All right, here we go. Um, true or false, paper money is actually made from paper. False. There's more than just paper. Yeah, it's, it's actually it's three-fourths three cotton and one-fourth linen. It has yeah. small red and blue synthetic fibers woven throughout the bill. I thought that was good. Remember that from doing the tour of the mint in Washington D.C. Yeah, and well, and I got to tell you, years ago, I was I I've been a commercial printer in my lifetime, uh, and was a lobbyist for the printing industry for many many years. And I got to work on with the Secret Service and the Department of Tre- Treasury when when they started redef- redesigning the the bills, and they we started putting those security features like micro printing. There's, I, I can show you different things on the bill that most people don't know. And if you look with a magnifying glass, you can see there's certainly there's strips they put in it. But there's also yep. micro printing in the lines around, like, even the $20 bill around uh, Andrew Jackson. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, last question. But you're doing pretty good. I, I got to say, you're doing pretty good. Um, what is the most valuable piece of currency ever produced, and how much was it worth? Yeah, this one you, you never get this one. And are we are we just talking U.S. currency? Yeah, U.S. currency, only U.S. I did, yeah, I would love to go global, but nah, I don't have any global. I don't have any global <laughs> sponsors. Ask. Yeah, trying to buy time, I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to Google it right now, aren't you? It's like that's it. Yeah, you got three staff people sitting around you right now, googling like crazy, trying to feed it to you. Any guess? No, I don't have one. It's a gold certificate bearing the portrait of Woodrow Wilson. It was produced wow. in 1934 for official transactions between Federal Reserve banks. It was worth $100,000. Amazing. I didn't, I, and Woodrow Wilson, you know. Do they you have to, a reason, do you have a reason why it's, you know, like, I, it, I, it's got to be, it's got to be politics. Well, 100000 because it was going between federal banks, you know, I would imagine okay. they used to move gold around, right? Uh, yep. And so this was a, a better way than moving gold. They would, I, I would assume, they would have these gold huh. certificates worth a hundred thousand. That's what they did. Now, of course, they just you know move it electronically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, I, listen. I'd like to give you a chance for any kind of shameless plug. Sure. I'll do two shameless plugs if I can. Oh, uh, that's what I like. A banker taking a little bit more extra initiative there. That's cool. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the first one is just around our transaction banking division. Um, just so proud of what we've accomplished here and how we really try to distinguish ourselves. And, and really, uh, we look at it in serving um, clients that are in our target markets and trying to make sure we cover the full working uh, capital solutions as well as all of their trust and custody needs. And very often that correlates right down to my business, which is really the institutional uh, custody and trust services. And most folks don't quite get that, especially when we say, well, we don't deal with the personal and the wealth 
that many can relate to because we yeah. all hopefully build portfolios in our lifetime and plan for retirement and estates, et cetera. Um, but for us, we're actually dealing with small business, middle middle market business, and certainly large corporations, government entities, you know, fund managers. And really what we do is the core of holding their portfolio securities and cash and basically taking care of all the income collections, corporate actions, um, all of that stuff that most folks don't really understand happens around their portfolio, but that's what gets them their asset, their market value, and, you know, everything um, in terms of being able to service their needs. And I just uh, am really proud of what we have built here and how well it correlates uh, to really our bank uh, overall values. And then my second plug has got to be for my... um, charity. Uh, I I do uh, sit on the board of um, Huckleberry Youth Programs, and Huckleberry Youth Programs, uh, very much like when I sat in Chicago for SGA uh, Youth and Family Programs, um, it really is focused on serving the underprivileged communities, but really trying to get to the youth. So we really service from uh, age 11 to 24. Um, It really is with the idea that we want to provide Uh, education, support that they need to help them choose healthy life choices, to to maximize their potential, kind of realize their dreams. I love working with youth and especially those that are underserved because very often they they don't even know that they can have a dream. And when you can get them at an early enough age and see what you can do in terms of those that have been, you know, abused or homeless and you give them an opportunity to be a part of a community, help them, you know, go to school and get educated. Um, they're going to be our future. And so I just love to, I love to participate with it. I'm very active in the program. Um, and most importantly, it's always about fundraising. And I think as a, you know, corporate leader, it's so important that we get involved in our communities and there's so much you can get from it. I, I think I get more out of it than what oh, I give. You know, there's a good friend of mine, Gary Rifkin, he's a speaker, and and uh, I was inducted into the Hall of Fame for the speaking uh, speaking Hall of Fame this summer. And when he got up and gave a speech, and he said, when you give, 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 you get, get, get. Yeah. It's like, and I thought that True. was a great way, and you, you're just you're, you're reiterating it again. Hey, I, before we go, I want to ask you one last question, because you've been great, and it's just been fun to listen to you. And I could I could do this a long lot longer, you know. Right. First of all, I got I want to give a kudo to to your bank because unlike other banks, I've interacted with more professional women from the bank than any other banking institution I've ever seen. And, and you know, although I'm looking forward to the point where I don't have to note that, or that mm-hmm. it, or it surprises me. You know what I mean? I I, I can't wait for that day. <laughs> because I think Absolutely that's cool. Agree. <laughs> yeah, but it's been it's been it's been fairly unique that every executive that I've talked to has been a very powerful woman. Well, that's kind of cool. So speaking of uh, of youth, as you were doing with the Huckleberry program, what would you what tip would you give to a young person that's trying to make it in the banking industry? I have a lot of young people who listen to this show and uh, want to be motivated and. I think it's different than any other industry. But what what ex, what what things tips would you give? Because you've been in this industry for a while. Sure, uh, I think from my perspective, um, it's interesting. Uh, you you saw my background. I have a BS in education. I was expected to be a, a teacher. I yeah. was going to do 
health, phys ed, sciences, and, and really had my course in front of me. I was fortunate as I went to school. Certainly, I you know served uh, for a banking institution and got lots of exposure to different areas, which truly was wonderful because I never really understood you know what banking was all about. And very often, uh, many don't understand that there are so many components to it and so many different avenues that you can take. Um, but I would really tell everyone to have a passion for whatever you're going to do, and and don't. Don't think that it has to be just one way or another. Be flexible and adaptable. Um, take a risk. You know, you have to take a chance every now and then. Certainly, you want to balance it with what you think the reward is, um, but you've got to believe in yourself. And, and, you know, it's funny. My team here, they always hear from me. I have four Ps that I kind of follow, and for me, it's so important that you start with that passion. And really, it's passionate irrespective of whether you're in the, you know, what you're doing professionally, what you're doing personally, what fulfills you, just just really dive into it and go go for it. And then I would say lots of patience. Yeah. I struggle sometimes a little bit with that one. Yeah. <laughs> but you really have to always maintain that, that balance. And then persuasion. It's important, especially for a woman, it's important that you really understand you can influence others. You can help uh, challenge certain things and, and get folks kind of over, you know, to your side if you if you feel you're you're going down a wrong path. And then most important, perseverance. Everything yeah. we do, if you really have a course that you you set, you have to stay on that course, even if you take, you know, a different road or a path. You can zig, you can zag, but just keep on going for it. That's awesome. Well, those are good. What a way to end. And I want <laughs> I, I want to thank you so much for everything. This has been a pleasure. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it, Jeffrey. It's uh, just a, a wonderful opportunity for us, so wow. thank you. Well, we'll do it again because i got to have you back, so this is a blast. So we'll talk to you later. All right, fantastic. Thank you. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Fortinet. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. Okay, I loved her wrap-up when she talked about the four Ps. Passion, oh, what was it? Patience, uh, being persuasive, and uh, what was the last one? Oh, uh, preser- I can't even say the word, but relentless. I want to use relentless. I'm going to go PPP relentless. How's that? Uh, because I always have a tough time saying certain words, but so I make them up as I go. So I thought that was really good. The other thing was I got to go back to relationships, relationships, man. You want to learn how to get along with your bank. There it is right there. Build the relationship. You want to learn how to get along with anyone, build the relationships. It works in your marriage too. You heard her talk about that, but really about building that relationship with your bank and that's educating them as you go and um, making sure there's no surprises on both sides of the aisle. Well, that's what I learned here today on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Don't forget, please tell your friends to listen and to subscribe. We're on iTunes and certainly right here on cbsplay.it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.